Now, I'm certain that I won't get this exactly right, but I think in that last verse, it went something along the lines of the soul that in Jesus repose or something like that, and that's the idea of rest, right? So that's what we're talking about this morning. And I want to kind of look at a, a little different topic than what we've been looking at, partly because it is Labor Day. When we think of Labor Day, we think of work. When we think of Labor Day celebrating Labor Day, right, we think of rest from work. So let's talk about rest. That doesn't mean that everybody gets to fall asleep, okay? (laughs) We're not handing out pillows or anything like that. But at the same time, uh, I want to talk about just a biblical look at rest today. So as we begin, how has your stress level been recently? How about the past couple of years? I have some statistics for you, and I don't think these will be boring, but I don't think they're going to be extremely revealing either. You probably understand these, because COVID has put a lot of stress on our nation, on us as individuals. And we'll talk more than just COVID, but 58% of Americans report either strained or lost relationships due to issues related to COVID. 70% of parents are concerned about their child's overall development as a result of the COVID disruptions. Then there's stress over the economy. At least 71% of those aged 26 to 57, which of course is their primary working years, right, have stress over the economy. 81% of those aged 18 to 43 are stressed over money issues. of Americans believe that there has been a constant stream of crises without a break over the last two years, and 73% feel overwhelmed by the present number of crises in the world. Folks, those are significant majorities. 87% cite rising prices as a significant source of stress, and 81% say that global uncertainty is a major source of stress. By the way, these stats that I just gave to you are from February and March of this year, not July and August. Do you think it's gotten any better? <laughs> so as we think about this, you know, there's a lot going on. And you might say to yourself, well, you know, some of these things really, they don't bother me anymore. Or they didn't bother me, whatever. Maybe you don't fit into one of these categories. But what if we find some statistics on the national debt, on crime, on medical expenses. Or we can talk about work, personal health, or our relationships. And on and on we can go. There are stressors. There are things that cause us to not be at rest. And then, of course, we can look at our schedules, right? The point is that most people in our country today are under some level of stress. Now, as we talk about this idea of rest, there are about eight or nine Hebrew words that are used to describe stress, rest, sorry, the opposite of that, that are used to describe rest in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. Uh, We're not going to look at all of those, and I say eight or nine because we may have, I may have missed one or two that was used, you know, obscurely or whatever. And then also, there's about four words that are used in the Greek, and so we're going to be checking some of those out. As we do that, again, what I want us to do is consider, um, you know, what rest is all about. And so we're going to start by saying, by looking at the different types of rest in the scriptures. Um, 
For the most part, I'm going to simply show the different usages of the word rest or something that means very similar to that. In other words, the root word means rest, rather than try to explain each Hebrew word. Um, I may briefly say something about the word, but I'm going to try to keep on track and not use a bunch of terms because, frankly, we can all just kind of get glazed over with that, right? I can't pronounce them anyway. I, I don't know Hebrew to speak, so anyway. The first one is Sabbath rest, and Sabbath means to cease. And so as we think about the word Sabbath and how it was used in the Old Testament, it meant to cease, to cease from work, actually. But then this compound word is only used in Exodus and Leviticus. And so the, the emphasis here was to have a Sabbath rest. So that compound word, a ceasing and a resting. There was an emphasis on this. Certain days, um, or the Sabbath day itself, was used to emphasize that we were to have a Sabbath rest, or that the children of Israel were, um, uh, on the seventh day of the week. The Sabbath was also, Sabbath rest, was also used for certain holy days. So I want to just show you a couple of slides related to this. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. And then he said to them, by the way, this is as the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, right? This is while they were, they were in the wilderness uh, earlier on. It says, this is what the Lord said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake the manna, right? That was what they were given from heaven. You will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So again, just to give you the, the, the background here, the people were hungry. And so God gave them, after they were complaining, uh, God gave them, and by the way, it wasn't like God was saying, I'm not going to do anything for you until you complain. That wasn't it. There were tests that God was giving them, tests of trust. Uh, they didn't really pass very many of those well, okay? But anyway, bottom line is, God had taken them miraculously out of, out of Egypt. They were now on their own in the wilderness. Some of them were getting concerned. God provides this, and he provided this day in and day out, except for the Sabbath, except for the seventh day of the week. And it was simply, um, it said it was kind of like the frost, the, the um, uh, fog or the, or the mist of the morning, the dew would go away, and then there would be this substance that they gathered. And so I can only say it, it probably resembled some type of a grain. You know, I, I don't know exactly. But it was supposed to be delicious. And what would we expect from God, right? Um, it wasn't like, you know, some of the... Anyway, I won't get into all that. <laughs> so, so anyway, as, as we're looking at this, they were to rest, and so God provided that rest by giving them a double portion on Friday of what they were going to be having for the next two days. If you remember, if they took too much and they left it till morning, it went rancid on them. It, it, it rotted on them because God wanted to see that he was providing for them each and every day. Okay, So this was all part of that rest. How did God provide that rest? You don't even have to go out and gather anything. I want you to have that rest time. And then we see in Exodus 31, verses 15 and 16, um, work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Pretty serious business, wasn't it? 
Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. So the keeping of the Sabbath, Sabbath we know, was actually put into the law. And the purpose was both worship and rest. The purpose was for them to take time to rest. We're going to move ahead because, as I told you, this was not used just for the seventh day of the week, but was also used um, for, for very specific times. And this happens to be what's called the Feast of Trumpets. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. So again, they were to set aside this time to rest and to remember. Uh, what a lot of people say this holiday was designed to do was to have them reflect on the different holidays that were going to be coming. And we're going to talk about one of them. There are several that are listed, but we're just going to talk about one of them because, again, it's related to rest. But, again, they were to think through what God had done for them. Now, now eventually, this would have been generations and generations gone by. But it was still something that, they, that God had done for their people, and he wanted to be fresh in their minds. And so that's why he wanted them to rest and to remember and to worship him. Leviticus chapter 23, verses 27 and 32. Also the tenth day of this, this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer, offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest. And you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. I'm sorry, ninth day of the month. At evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. So the Day of Atonement, as we know, was the time where the, the uh, high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make that annual atoning sacrifice. He would have already made the atoning sacrifice, but he would have applied the blood to the Ark of the Covenant, to the mercy seat. And that was all to cover over the sins, to atone for the sins of the people of the previous year. And so this was a new year type of thing. It was a fresh start type of idea. Let's move forward. Let's move ahead, right? And so they were to stop and to rest. And even in this particular rest time, there, there was a conviction that was taking place. They were to search their souls. How have I been doing? Have I been serving the Lord properly? And so there was even that introspection that was to be taken place. So both of these of special days were marked by this Sabbath rest, this emphasis on that. Now, there's another word that's used when describing rest or quiet associated with a city or the land of Israel. The general meaning is that the people were free from strife and war. Joshua 11.23, uh, this is soon after the, the children of Israel had gone in and had taken uh, the land of Canaan, the promised land. This was now their land that God had promised them. It says, so Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses, and Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. There was a rest time. The same rest was used throughout the book of Judges. This comes right after the events of Joshua when they when um, the, the children of Israel uh, crossed over. They, they, they took the promised land as God promised them. Hence the promised land, right? And, and so uh, as, as they were um, uh, then kind of just progressing as a nation, there was this constant back and forth during the time of the judges of obedience and disobedience. And God would use uh, these judges to bring the people back to himself. 
Uh, many times it was it was intervening and and uh, and uh, uh, taking care of enemies of of the nation. And so then there would be this this time of of remembrance and this time of of um, of restoration. And each time, then the land was at rest. Okay, so we can kind of think about the fact that the land, which was the promise of God, was actually associated directly with the people. That was part of their promise. So if the land was at rest, the people were at rest. All right? And that's really what God wanted for them. That's what he promised if they followed him. And then one other quick thing, just just to think about this this word here, was also used for prophecies of the nation of Israel um, about being restored. Some of those have already taken place, but I believe that there are others that are still to be taken place. I, I do not believe that Israel is fully restored yet, even though they are a nation. There are still some promises that God has in store for them, and it has to do with that rest. If you look at the, highla- uh, at the, the news highlights uh, today even, right, uh, Israel is not at rest. But God promises that to them. There's another word that's used. For rest, this happens to be quietness, but it says the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. That's a picture, right? Better a handful with quietness than both hands full, together with toil and grasping for the wind. Now, this is Solomon, again, speaking here in in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is very much like many of the Proverbs that he wrote. And in this passage, Solomon uses a rarely used word for rest. Of course, in verse 5, he's warning us against laziness. But in verse 6, the wise king balances his comments by saying that resting from one's labors and having less is better than excess work and futility to gain more and more. Now, folks, we need to make sure we keep this in balance. Uh, Brother Larry Sanders gave us a great lesson this morning about our work ethic related to Labor Day, right? And it was, it was very good. We should have a very high work ethic. Regardless of who is over us, regardless of who our boss is, what they act like, or anything like that, we are to really do an excellent job, ultimately for the Lord. Okay? So again, Solomon, the wisest, right? He's already saying, don't be lazy. So this is not a license to coast. It's talking about putting things in perspective. And that's really getting more to the crux of what I want to talk about today. Putting things in perspective, making sure that we are taking time to rest. So here's what Solomon says. It's better to take a break. It's better to pace yourself than it is to be driven all the time. Now I want to be careful here, and we'll talk more about this. It's going to come up some more. I understand that there are going to be times in all of our lives when we are just crazy busy. It's just the way it's going to be sometimes. Sometimes there are specific needs at work, right? We're required to put in more time or whatever it might be. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that, that, that kind of click that takes place in our minds where it's like I'm in the groove and I'm all about, right, excelling for the purpose of getting more and more and more. So I want to be very careful how I say this. It's not a matter of not excelling, of not doing well. It's a matter of that being the end result. 
And it's also at the expense of taking the proper rest that we should. And if we're honest, I've mentioned work, but there's many other areas in life. We'll make some applications later, but where, where we tend to be driven. We could be driven as a student. Some of you parents are like, I wish, right? But you know, some of you get that later. But anyway, so <laughs> but, but there's all kinds of ways that we can be driven in life. We can actually be driven to follow a hobby to the point where we are not really at rest. You say, well, it's something I enjoy. Yeah, but remember, there's more than one purpose for rest, for a ceasing of doing things, right? But the one thing that I see that's interesting here, as we think of this verse before we move on, is that it's quite un-American. In America, we want both hands full, right? We want it all because that proves that we are successful. That proves that we have arrived because, again, taking this picture, I've, I've grabbed it all. And yet the passage says, you're really grasping at the wind. You're grabbing something that isn't going to have staying power. And so it's a good warning for us. In Psalm 116, verse 7, it says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. This word for rest is only used seven times in all the Old Testament. Again, some of these are, are you know, smaller words as far as their uses are concerned. But this word was also used in the book of Ruth. Now, maybe you don't have background to this story. I can't go back and tell you all this, but basically uh, a woman named Naomi lost her husband and both of her sons. One of them was married to Ruth. The other one was married to a woman named Orpah. And so what she basically tells her daughters-in-law is this, is I want you to find rest. Go and find rest by returning home and getting married. That rest really had the idea of security because you need to go, you need to go find a husband is what she was saying. Because particularly in that culture, to be in a home like that, to have a man who was leading you, right, was very important. There was security in that. Naomi could not promise that. And so she tells her daughters-in-law, leave. One did. Ruth stayed with her, okay? Now, again, we could get into all that whole story, but the point is this, is that Ruth, I'm sorry, Naomi was desiring rest for her daughters, uh, daughter-in-laws. Now, um, I want you to turn with me to... Uh, Psalm 116, where I read that verse for you, Psalm 116. And I just want to read the, the greater context of this. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice, starting in verse 1, and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Verse 3. The pains of death encompassed me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. He was brought low, and he saved me. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have, de you have delivered my soul from death. 
my eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. I'm sorry, I went ahead a little bit there. I got a little excited. Uh, but anyway, to, to, to look at this, um, the, the psalmist is using this word really in the same way that Naomi used this word. He's saying that he's finding rest in the Lord. Some believe that the author of this psalm was one of those who had returned from when the nation was exiled. Some people have been some of the people had been separated, God's people, not some of them, almost all of them, had been separated from the promised land for about 70 years. They'd experienced physical trials in a foreign land, but they also had been disciplined spiritually. That's why they were separated from the land. But the psalmist praises God for his provision and deliverance and tells himself, his, his own soul, that he can now experience rest. They were at rest because God provided a secure place for them. So folks, let me ask you this, just to make a little bit of application. Is there any more secure place than we can have than being in Christ? I mean, these folks, it was, it was conditional. If they weren't obedient and it was gross disobedience, God removed them from the land. It happened more than once. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is not a covenant that was made with conditions on both sides. This was an unconditional covenant that God made with us. So if we are in Christ, we are secure in him. And we can have, we can find that rest. We'll be talking about that a little bit more. Also, being at rest is is the idea of being still. It has this emphasis of being still. Um, I want to read for you Psalm 4. We're in the Psalms uh, several times here, and if you have ever had any struggles in your life, you've probably gone to the Psalms. There are lots of things we can relate to, but one of them is to find rest, to find rest in the Lord. Psalm 4, let me read for you again verses 1 through 8, which is the Psalm itself. Hear me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. You have relieved me when I was in distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O sons of, of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But now that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly, the Lord will hear when I call on him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increases. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, just very briefly, we're talking here about a conflict. There, there are those who are unrighteous, and there's this righteous person that is having to deal with this uh, uh, atmosphere that he's going through, right? And he's struggling. But the Lord says, you be still in me. Now, turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. I'm going to read for you the first 10 verses here. I believe this magnifies 
the ideas that we just read, the, the, the concepts that are there. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently on him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in, this, in his way, because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. For, for yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, he, you will look diligently for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Sorry about that. Got my notes all messed up here. Um, both of these passages have to do with our response to those who commit evil acts. We can get all charged up about what evil people do, how they're living, or how their actions affect others, and what they seem to be getting away with. D -d Does that ever affect you? How about you students? When you see somebody getting away with something, and they don't get caught, right? They, they, they do something, and, and there doesn't seem to be any consequence. Does that bother you? What do we say? We say, that's not fair. That's not right. How about at work? How about in society? We can get all ramped up, churned up, frustrated, irate at the, at the injustice, at the unfairness, at the unrighteousness that we see all around us. And what the Lord says here, is something that, let me just translate into our own vernacular. He says, chill. <laughs> right? Relax. Be at rest. Well, why? How? How can we do that? Because our God is in control. Amen. He is in control. So God isn't saying, throw up your hands in frustration. And I don't believe he's telling us that we can't do anything. What the Lord is saying is to trust in Him and not try to change the world or even just one situation or one person by our own strength. We do not have permission to stop resting in the Lord. Folks, think about it. Think about for a minute what your life would be like if you didn't get all hot and bothered about the stuff that's happening around you. Instead, Truly resting in God. Giving those situations over to Him. Now again, it doesn't mean that we don't have responsibilities. It doesn't mean that we can't maybe say or do something, but it's not something that causes us to lose our rest in Him. Because once we start trusting in ourselves to somehow change something, we're no longer trusting in Him. Again, there's a difference between responsibility, between doing things appropriately, and somehow taking the battle into our own hands, right? Uh, 
There's another type of rest that we have. Those are all different kinds of just general rest that we see. And again, we're going to tie this together. But Jesus offered rest. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Let's start in verse 25. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, it says, At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, so, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and he who to whom the Son reveals wills to reveal him. Okay, then. Let's just pause for a minute, all right? So here we have Christ directly declaring that God is the one who reveals himself to people. But then he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now we use this passage in a recent message that I had different topic. It was interesting how it kind of dovetailed into this passage, or this message, where we see here that there is an invitation. Now, Jesus says to come to him. Now, what exactly does come to me mean? Well, just, just for clarification, I want you to look at John six thirty five. It says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And look at what it says. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. So what does come to me mean? It means believe in me. So that's what Jesus is saying here. So what type of rest was Jesus offering? First, Jesus was offering rest from weariness and burden. The larger context gives us the specific meaning of what Jesus was offering rest from. Christ promised rest Uh, Christ's promise rest was in contrast to the exhausting effort of keeping the law and of the burdens that the Pharisees had put on the people. Second, Jesus offered rest for the soul. Um, Soul rest is what we're talking about here. I need to note that this word for rest can mean recreation. Now, understand, Jesus isn't saying Take a vacation, okay? Although maybe some of you like to do that now. Maybe some of you are on the cusp of doing that, right? But, but that's not exactly what he's saying. What he's saying is this. Jesus' offering, um, he chose this word to contrast, to, to show the weight of the burdens that the people were carrying, but the relief that he was giving, just like in our Colossians series, we continue to see that God's way isn't merely removing something. There is an exchange. There is an exchange for something much, much better. So the things that we, these people were being worn out about, were being crushed under, the religion of the day, right? By faith, they exchanged a new way of thinking, a new way of living that was good for them, and that glorified God. And we can do the same thing. We, we, can, we can be done with all of the works that are related to trying to earn heaven on our own. 
of being good enough, of trying to balance those proverbial scales, which the scriptures say, really, they don't even exist. But instead, we exchange all of those efforts, all those things that don't give us any rest for something likened to a complete relief. Not, not a vacation in the Caribbean, okay? But in comparison, there is, there is a relief, there is a joy, there is a rest that takes place in placing our confidence in Jesus Christ, trusting him to remove those, those, those sins from us and to give us salvation. So let me ask you something. Is there possibly someone here who's trying to gain your spiritual peace by your way, by your works, by some spiritual system, right? Something religious. I don't mean this to be sarcastic, but how is that actually going for you? Are you finding peace? And even if you find so-called peace, is it actually real? Maybe this is something that has reminded you or maybe you've seen for the, clearly for the first time that trying to get to heaven on your own is futile. And that's what Jesus says. He says, you come to me. So I ask you, will you come today? And remember, that means will you believe today? Will you take Jesus at his word? Folks, that is the ultimate rest. And I don't want to uh, move from here before I say, if you have placed your confidence in Christ, you have a soul rest, right? Rest for your soul, that's what he said. You have a soul rest that no one will ever be able to take away from you. Now, there's something else that Jesus did. He promoted rest. He offered a certain kind of rest, but he also promoted rest. There's a passage, or a, a, yeah, a passage where Jesus sent out 12, his 12, his 12 disciples, two by two to preach repentance. Christ also gave them authority over demons and enabled them to heal people. And so let's read what happens as they come back. Mark 6, 30 to 32. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. Now one of the few differences between then and now is that we have fast food, Right? So they didn't have time to eat. We can still stop and throw some money at a window, right, and get something delivered to us real fast. I won't even tell you about my last experience at a McDonald's. It was terrible. So, but I should have got my money back. But anyway, the, the point is this, is that we can move faster. We can, we can do more and more. We're not even encumbered by the lack of food, Right? Now, I'm saying that just a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, but here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, we've got some things to go over. You guys have been busy. Let's get away. We need some rest. 
By the way, what you don't see here is that Jesus, when he sent them out, he went out preaching and teaching as well. All right? So it's not even just for their benefit. But here we have God in the flesh who says, let's take some time away to rest. Matthew 4, 13 says this, and it's in the same vein. We won't see the word rest in these next couple of passages, but I want us to see. When Jesus heard it, he departed there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. That heard it was, they, they were coming to, to, to make him king. And he's like, no, I, 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 I'm going to get away, right? Well, they followed him. And we see that happening more than once. The passage indicates that Jesus desired to have some private time away from the crowds. Now, we also know that there was a regular time that Jesus had, many times in the morning, where he would get off to himself and pray. He would get off to himself and just spend time with his heavenly Father. All right. Again, that's a great example for us. But specifically in rest, we have one more passage in Mark 9, 30 and 31a. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples. He wanted some time alone with them. He wanted to have some time away to not have all of the... Can you, can you imagine? There were times when it says that he fed 5,000 people, men. The, the, the others were, were just kind of numbered with that. Where he would go to a group of people and he would heal all of their sick. Can you imagine? Again... Jesus, the God-man, the, the physical exhaustion that would take place. When, when, we, when we read in John that it says that, man, you know, and, and again, this is hyperbole, but the books of the world could not contain all that Jesus did, right? In other words, there's hardly anything written in here compared to what Jesus did. He was not a slouch. He didn't just wander around, right, and teach when he felt like. He was about the Father's business, but he also took time to rest. Actual, physical rest. We want to make sure that we understand this aspect of what Jesus modeled. Getting away was also for spiritual refreshment. Now, whether it be a staycation that we might have or a vacation, we can take advantage of the extra time in order to spend time with the Lord. Your idea of vacation might be sitting on a beach and doing nothing. Others might want to pack in all the activities that they can do. All the activities that a normal schedule doesn't allow you to do. For others, it might be some kind of combination. But whatever your idea of a break might be, we need to make sure that we take advantage of the extra time to spiritually recharge. There is definitely the need for physical recharging. But there's also the need for spiritual recharging. Both of those are contained in the model that Jesus gives to us. Now, if you notice, those same models were back in the Old Testament examples that we gave. There was both a physical rest and there was a spiritual rest, sometimes taking place at the same time. So what do we do with all this? First, we need to take the principle of Sabbath rest seriously. Now, be careful how I say this. Um, we're free from the law. 
but we should still honor its principles. I'm not going to make a full defense here of Sunday worship, all right? There's, in some places, there's this raging argument about what day of the week is, is the right day to worship, etc. I'm just going to say this. There's no record of the apostles instructing Gentiles about the importance of keeping the Jewish Sabbath. It's just not there. They actually didn't mention anything to the Gentile believers about requiring them to keep the Sabbath at all. If this was important, then where are the instructions? I mean, there are instructions on a lot of things in the New Testament, folks. This isn't one of them. Think about this. These are churches planted. Yes, sometimes they were started with Jewish believers, but other times they were purely Gentile churches. You would think that if this was a requirement, this would be one of the first things out of the pen. Hey, keep the Sabbath. Actually, what we see is, the, is not the opposite necessarily, but it's a warning against Sabbaths and holy days and all these other things to somehow garner our spirituality. But that doesn't change the point of what God himself observed. God observed a time of rest when he created the world. That's where that whole Sabbath rest comes from. Jesus made sure that he had times of rest, and I'm sure that he kept the Sabbath while he was here. We just looked at both Old and New Testament references about this very important subject of rest. So folks, it's one of God's priorities one of God's priorities for us to have a regular time of rest for body and soul. Speaking of that, let's consider this subject of soul rest. Jesus promised he would give us rest for our souls. When we believe in Christ, we are no longer contending with God and we're no longer striving to try to find the meaning of life apart from God. That gives us that rest. But let's expand on that soul rest To other passages we covered, there's a daily aspect to having soul rest. When we live under the authority of God, when we believe and trust his character, when we live in the obedience and and trust his promises, so in other words, we're obeying what he tells us and we trust what what he has promised to us, when our focus is on Christ and eternity, nothing can take away our soul rest. Nothing can. Now, soul rest isn't some elite spiritual level we achieve. And then, oh, right? The lights come down. Well, I have arrived. It's this ethereal plane, right? That's not what we're talking about. It's something that we must nurture and maintain, yes, until we actually arrive with him. Until we are in the presence of God and we live with him forever. And folks, that's really what heaven is. Heaven is soul rest. There there is not going to be any conflict within us to want to sin, to want to offend the Lord. That's going to be gone. Man, praise the Lord, right? It's coming. But that's what we're working toward today. So part of maintaining our soul rest is maintaining, for sake of a better term, what I would call our practical rest. So let's just, let's just get this out there right away. Being so busy with work or school or activities or schedules, fill in the blank, or some combination thereof, is sin. It's missing the mark. 
It's just not healthy, and God knows it. He created us. He knows us. And what he says is, take time to rest. So here's really the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we think that we can improve on the lifestyle that Jesus led? <laughs> yeah, it's easy to say, oh, no. But does your lifestyle show that? Specifically when it comes to taking a body break, taking a soul break, right? Slowing down and taking some time. Let me just interject one more time. We're not talking about laziness. We're not talking about coasting at work. We're not talking about any of those things. We're talking about balance. God wants us to rest. This includes taking rest in God and his plan when the events of the world create an unrest in our souls. And folks, come on, let's be honest. There's plenty of events in the world that can create unrest in our souls. We also have the principle of consistent times of rest. There may be those who, particularly moms, might say, uh, yeah, this is never going to happen. Okay, first, I want to reinforce something that I don't expect anybody to remember, but I did say it Mother's Day. Children and dads, you need to help in this area. I want to challenge you again that it's in your best interest for mom to be well rested. <laughs> your life may depend on it. <laughs> Seriously, though, I understand, you know, especially we're talking about husbands and wives, okay? There's a partnership there, and I don't want to make it sound like it's one sided, all right? But at the same time, when we think of <clears throat> others, what can we do, specifically our moms, what can we do to make their schedule better, to give them times of rest? Now let's think about ourselves again just in general. We should also take extended times of rest. We saw Jesus do that. Now I don't think anybody here is opposed to vacation, right? But sometimes we kind of like the idea that at the end of the year, we have all these vacation days banked. I didn't use all my vacation days, right? Now, I understand there was a time when that was looked upon as positive. It's up to you. It's going to be between you and the Lord. But what I'm trying to say is there isn't anything virtuous about burning out, okay? There's nothing virtuous about that. I will tell you, in Bible college, that was like the big thing that everybody say, I want to burn out for the Lord. Chapter and verse, please. I'm being smart. Listen, I'm, I'm, and again, I'm really, I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but some of those guys burnt out and it wasn't for the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Rest is vital for our whole being, as I mentioned before, our body, soul, and spirit. Part of that rest is to have fellowship with the Lord. We've mentioned that already. But let me say this in a different way. God wants you to rest so that you can spend time with your Creator and Savior. God wants you to rest so that you can spend time together. That's His desire. 
Are we so busy that we're struggling to simply spend time with the Lord? I'm not talking about, you know, reading our chapter in the Bible real quick before we go off to work and, you know, slap the cover down and go. I'm not talking about praying for other people's needs. I'm talking about actually resting in our souls, resting in the Lord, and having some communion with Him. Again, it's up to each and every one of us what that means. I know that some of us in here, that for whatever reason, and again, it could be just a period of time, right? But your, your, your schedules are more demanding than others. But folks, a real practical thing that we can do is evaluate, where is our time going? If, if I keep on saying to myself, oh man, like what happened to the week? I'm so tired. I'm so busy. Well, let's take a step back. Not out of selfish reasons, out of obedience. And ask ourselves, how am I managing the life that God has given to me? Can I make sure that I have some appropriate times of rest? And again, yes, as families, let's cooperate together to make sure that gets done. Young people, are you in so many activities that you don't know what you're doing tomorrow? Are you staying up late to make sure that all this stuff gets done that you got to get done, and then the next day you just start all over again? Yeah, but I got to achieve this. I got to achieve this. I got to achieve this. Now, if your parents say that you got to do that, that's one thing. But if you're just driven, I'm just being honest. Life requires some balance. We crave rest, but we don't give ourselves time to do it. And what the Lord is telling us here is that rest is a priority for Him. And rest is supposed to be a priority for us. Not laziness, but a time to collect ourselves. A time to get the weariness of our body out of us. A time of refreshment and a time of fellowship with Him. I don't know where you're at. I can tell you that there are times in my life in ministry where I was an absolute failure at this. And it was looked upon as good by everybody around me and myself. You probably even heard that there's this thing called pastor burnout, right? Well, there's manager burnout and, you know, line worker burnout and so on too, right? But my point is this. The reason why it happens is because we're not trusting God. We see that we have to do something for whatever reason. Fill in the blank. doesn't matter. It's biblical to rest. Labor Day. The day we set aside, right, <laughs> to actually rest for those that we see in the working class as those, those who are, you know, out there laboring every day. And by the way, I, I'm not quibbling over the holiday and things like that, but work is called work for a reason. It doesn't matter what kind of work you're doing. It's not play. Okay? So if you're working, you're a worker. You are a laborer. It might not be with your hands, you know, with, with your skills, whatever. All right? But all I'm trying to say is this. We need to take a break. Plan it. 
Be careful about it. Be deliberate about it. Look at the scriptures. See what God says. Take him at his word. Life will keep on going, right? You'll be okay. Remember, better to have one hand full and have some peace, have some rest, than to have both your hands full and be striving after wind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that in our country today, there are those who, for sake of a better term, they, they, they lack a good work ethic. And then there are those, Lord, who are just all about their jobs. It's their identity. It's, 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 it just wraps everything around them. And, and sometimes they're public enough to where we can see the train wreck that is their relationships and everything else. And yet we call them successful. Lord, I know that somehow we're, we're threading the needle here. But Father, I pray that you'll give us a, a godly balance between providing, between having um, stuff of life, and between simply working ourselves into the ground. Whatever our profession or our educational pursuits or whatever it might be. Lord, I pray that we will prioritize taking some time aside on a regular basis to rest, to recharge, to refresh ourselves, including our relationship with you. How gracious you are, Lord. How gracious you are to make sure that this is punctuated throughout your word and even given to us by the example of Jesus himself. You care about us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.